afternoon, you're on the panel, RNZ Nash, nor Sarah Sparks and Simon Wilson with me and on Checkpoint uh, there'll be a Prime Minister's Media Stand-Up, that's uh, 5pm, so do stay tuned on RNZ National for that. Well said Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown, despite today's sad events, the FIFA opening game tonight will go ahead and the city is ready and I will be in attendance. It is three hours to go and the world will be watching. there. FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. The organisers believe a record 2 billion could tune in to watch the tournament this year and is the biggest to date. 32 nations battling it out, up from 24 teams in 2019. Opening ceremony, Eden Park this evening. The first match to get underway, New Zealand versus Norway. Uh, Zoe George is the senior sports journalist at Stuff. Kia ora, Zoe. Hello, Wallace. I have chills. I cannot wait to kick off. Well, I know you're joining the panel Monday, but I can't wait either, and I have to hear your take. So uh, we brought you earlier. Three hours to go. A pretty big moment for New Zealand. A pretty big moment for you, in fact. Yeah, this is huge. You know, this is our third Women's World Cup that we've had on New Zealand soil. In the last 18 months, we had cricket, then we had the rugby last year with a sold-out crowd of 48,000, and tonight we're expecting a sold-out crowd at Eden Park as well. Uh, This is huge. This is huge for women in sport and for everything that generations of women have fought for. And, you know, when you say that we're going to have an audience of more than 2 billion for this tournament, it is uh, on track to be the largest women's sport event ever in history. And it is just wonderful. Um, And to see New Zealand and Norway play this evening on home soil at Eden Park is just a treat. But this is just the start, and I hope that if you can't make the game, that you watch it or you do your bit for women in sport tonight. Yeah, Uh, and I know that uh, one of our guests is, uh, is going as well. But look, I raised this yesterday with um, uh, with our with our guests uh, and, and talking about Ferns defender CJ Bott, who was was is with English club Leicester City, uh, and she was saying that all the titles in the world do not compare to playing in front of a home crowd in Aotearoa, and that said everything to me, Zoe, on just how much this means to the players. Well, 100%, and this is the first time this tournament has been played in the Southern Hemisphere across two countries. Now, New Zealand has had a bit of a rough ride of late. They did uh, lose to Italy in their last warm-up game. They did beat Vietnam before that, but they lost 10 in a row before that. But in front of a sold-out crowd, we saw what impact that had on the Black Ferns in the final of the Rugby World Cup last year. And I think having that huge crowd, having that home crowd, it's like a 12th player on oh. the field for the players. So I think it might just help them get across the line. Fingers and toes crossed. <laughs> Sarah. Oh, I mean, I'll be tuning in from home, but I always, I mean, I went to an all-girls school many, many moons ago and um, we had a one of the first sort of in Christchurch women's um, soccer teams back in the day this was like in the 80s and so I've sort of been watching and watching what's been happening in developments uh, overseas and in, in America in particular we were talking about that before we uh, came on here today and it's phenomenal the the viewing audience and the value yeah. of the players 
you know, and we're really seeing that now. So. Stay there, Zoe. Um, uh, of course, Simon, you, you've got tickets tonight as I well. I do have tickets tonight, and, and I'm feeling extremely confident, Zoe, because as I understand it, there is a, there's a law, isn't there, that New Zealand teams have to win at Eden Park? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. 100%. I hope someone's told Norway. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, the, the thing is, though, as well, it's so wonderful to see the investment, to see the belief yeah. uh, in women, because women in New Zealand were banned from playing football for 50 years. Oh. So we are 50 years behind and we've got a whole lot of catching up mm. to do. Uh, so to see, particularly, you know, our government, they bid for this, uh, along mm. with the other two World Cups, um, you know, to see that is, is really heartwarming. And I really hope that post-Football World Cup that we see a surge in girls and women mm. playing the game and that it continues to thrive in this country. And I think one of the, the great things is that part of the whole package has been that uh, sports fields uh, where there are women's football teams um, who are hosting um, you know, um, some of the teams competing, uh, they've been resourced, haven't they? So they've been able to upgrade what mm. they do and what they offer. Uh, and even, yeah. at, even at Western Springs where they were, the board was perhaps a little reluctant to totally grasp the opportunity for women and girls, um, even that's happening there, and, which is very exciting. Yeah, the the whole thing with facilities is fascinating. It's, uh, it's something I've been talking about and campaigning for in regards to equity of changing rooms mm. and toilet facilities at our major venues. And that's been ongoing now for like five years. And, and the government invested $30 million into upgrading all the major facilities, including many of these hubs that the players are based at, which means the community are also benefiting yeah. from that. But Back in the day, women didn't even have access to changing rooms in some cases. We were relegated to playing on a Sunday on grounds that had been torn up by men on the Saturday. Mm. You know, the, some council grounds, you know, the changing rooms weren't even open for women to get changed. So they had to get go on the sideline or use facilities that weren't designed for them. So this has a broader social impact. It's not just about what happens on the field. It's about what happens off it too. Zoe, do you get a sense, you've been following this across years, is this ushering in a new era for women's sport, especially on the back of the recent Rugby World Cup and how much we collectively bought into that and enjoyed it? Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, this wave has been coming for a little while. There was this old adage that people didn't care about women's sports, so we didn't cover it, and they didn't go, they didn't get the audience, they don't deserve the investment. Well, do you know what? That's not true. Look at the crowd last year at at the Rugby World Cup final. Look at the crowd tonight. We've had more than 350,000 tickets sold for this event in New Zealand. I think that's only going to go up when people see the true quality of the sport and of the athletes tonight and over the next few weeks. Uh, and, you know, this this is what I've been banging my drum so loudly for for years. And yeah. many of us, many women in the sports sector have been doing the same. You, we were talking off here, weren't we, Simon, about actually the American team and just uh, how they were so good, perhaps yeah. why they were so good and the context around that. Because I didn't realise how big um, soccer was well, yeah, so, in the US. So, Zoe will have thoughts on this. Yeah. Soccer is enormous for, for women and girls in America. It's, it's um, I don't know, Zoe, it's prob- probably the leading huge. winter sport that, that women right? and girls would play. Um, yeah, so that, it makes it huge. And, and, and it's a challenge for the for the uh, the code here, isn't it? Because 
the number of kids who play soccer vastly outnumbers the number of kids who play rugby. That's boys and girls, and yet that doesn't translate into adults playing. You know, so mm. this opportunity, this opportunity, this is an opportunity for uh, the football association here uh, to really try to do something about that. I yeah, think. is that a, is, is that almost a challenge uh, to be laid down, Zoe, to pick up the uh, the gauntlet and run run with this? Yeah, we call it the legacy. So what is the legacy of this tournament on sport? Well, we knew that the legacy with rugby after the Women's Rugby World Cup was that there was quite a spike in in registrations from girls and women, and I hope that we see the same. But it also comes back to investment at the grassroots for girls and women as well, making sure that they get equal opportunity, equal facilities, have access to uniforms that fit them properly. Um, (laughs) You know, the basic thing, necessities. If the boys and men get it, then the women and girls should get it too. Have you played soccer, Sarah? No, I haven't. Um, but I encouraged um, I encouraged my children to play, and they did when they were little. And then mm. then they went on to other codes. Yeah. Because um, so, you're quite a sporting family too, aren't yeah, you? Very, yeah, very, very sporting. And, you know, it is about creating a pathway. And to create a pathway requires investment. And, to crea- and for investment, that requires good governance and prioritising. So, mm. you know, no longer... Um, the girls, women in this in this sport being treated, you know, historically as second class. This is first class, yeah. first class event, yeah. and it's called the beautiful game for a reason. Absolutely, you know, to play and to watch. Yeah. For those, uh, Zoe, just for those uninitiated, uh, what are a couple of stars we might want to watch for? What uh, might be a couple of teams that those who are new to the code, if you like, uh, will want to actually uh, get their heads around and watch. Okay, so tonight when you're watching the Football Ferns, check out Ali Riley. She is our co-captain of the Football Ferns. And then the name Michaela Foster might be familiar, particularly to rugby fans. Her dad just happens to be the coach of the All Blacks. So she'll be playing tonight, of course, Team USA. And next week, uh, Team USA are playing the Netherlands, which is a replay of the 2019 Football World Cup. And that's happening in Wellington. That's pretty much sold out as well, which I think that will be the game of the tournament to watch. And don't forget that the football fans are playing the Philippines next Tuesday in Wellington as well. I think there's low availability for tickets, but jump on and check it out. It'll be great to see everyone in the crowd. Oh, it's great to have you on, Zoe, and we'll be in touch with you next week, Monday in fact, kia ora. That's Zoe kia ora. George there, senior sports journalist and stuff. Now, by the way, the FIFA Fan Festival in Auckland will not open today. I understand it opens tomorrow from midday. And ticket holders to FIFA Women's World Cup matches can get free public transport in each host city on game days. 18 past four to this uh, GP costs. And by the way, big response to this. Keep them coming. Uh, what do you charge? What do you get charged when you go to your local GP? 70 bucks for me. Uh, Carolyn says $56 Christchurch and $19.50 says Angela uh, in South Canterbury with a community services card. Uh, so to this, uh, when you go to your visit your GP, how much does it cost you? If you're a community service card holder, your standard GP visit should be, uh, appointment rather, $19.50 subsidised by the government. But GP clinics with more than 50% enrolled patients that are high needs are eligible for the Very Low Cost Access Scheme, the VLCA, which means anyone enrolled at that clinic 
gets the reduced price of $19.50, even if they are not a community services card holder. And some medical professionals have been questioning the fairness of that scheme for some time. With us is Jabalani Medical Centre Director and Practice Manager, Tanya Brown. Kia ora, Tanya. Kia ora. Great nice to have to you on. Here. Thank you very much. Yeah, really, already a big response to this. Um, you own a medical yeah. centre, but you don't qualify for the very low-cost access scheme. Do you think it's fair? Correct, Simon. And um, no, I don't think it's fair. Um, I think that we need to look at a single capitation solution for health funding in our country. And we're presently working with a dual capitation system where some practices based on their population, um, you know, receive more and different funding to the rest of the practices in New Zealand. And um, we're trying to push and target funding to those target populations that really need uh, the support um, of the extra funding to access services. And so it doesn't seem rational to then provide that type of funding to uh, populations that aren't targeted for, you know, high health needs or haven't been historically or systematically disadvantaged. Um, It doesn't make much sense. How much does it cost for a standard GP appointment now at your practice? At our practice now, with just the new fee increase, our standard appointment is $50. Our standard community services card appointment is $19.50. There's a huge difference. Um, So if a patient comes into our practice with a community services card and they do have a standard appointment, they charge $19.50. If they don't have that community services card, they charge $50 for the standard appointment. If they went down the road geographically to a VLCA practice, they would be charged $19.50, not $50. And it's a big difference, and it's a significant difference for New Zealanders that really are all struggling at the moment to afford uh, the costs, the rising costs of living, particularly medical health costs. Stay there, Tony. Let's go around the panel. Sarah. Um, I'm really interested in the uh, how the capitation formula is, is determined in relation to, mm-hmm. to location because I did do a little bit of research into it. And I know that there are, mm. there's deprivation data for you know that's yes. that, for localities. So that's how it's sort of calculated. So can you can you perhaps yeah. tell us a little bit more well, and and why you you're sort of you're not in that zone, so to speak, just yeah. so we understand. Well, yeah, I mean, to put it in a nutshell, we have a problem with our capitation funding um, in New Zealand in that the system hasn't been adjusted for 20 years. And it's come to the point where it's not fit for purpose anymore. So the way uh, general practice is funded by the government doesn't work. Um, and it doesn't address the issues and, and, the, and access to services that we really needed to address. So there's been a big move um, from general practice to the government to, to resolve this issue. Um, so from that perspective, we, we are dealing with a problem, um, a major problem, um, and um, VLCA practices and their funding are just part of that problem. What do you make of this, Simon? Well, uh, it's a it's a complex issue. Um, mm-hmm. You, you yeah. know, if in this country we tend to think that universal benefits are not a great idea because they give money to people who don't need it, except we carve out um, uh, superannuation on that one mm-hmm. uh, and allow that that should be universal. Um, but as soon as you 
um, target people, you are creating anomalies inevitably. That's the biggest argument against targeting is that it always creates anomalies and there are always people who miss out and shouldn't. So that's very difficult. There's another underlying complication here, I think, which is the uh, inherently competitive setup between doctors' pra- general uh, uh, medical practices. So it ought to be possible to say to someone who's at a practice that isn't receiving the those high needs funding to to say to someone to a, a potential patient who needs that funding you can go down the road to a VLCA you know, clinic and you'll you'll you won't have to pay as much but of course if you tell your patients to go down the road to someone else you're simply losing your your income so the fact yeah. that they are in competition against each other is a, is a is an underlying problem in this what do you uh, make of what uh, Simon says Tanya yeah, I do agree with him. And, you know, that's the sad thing about health, especially general practice and primary health care in this country, that it's been made into a competition. Yeah. Um, you know, we would, we'd be happy to see um, people funded from, you know, for primary health care, general practice, fully funded. You, you can't grow a strong country and economy without well-educated, healthy people. And health, you know, general practice deals with 99.9% of health in New Zealand for most New Zealanders throughout their lives. We are the first port of call, and we're the people that keep the population out of hospital and improve their health. Well, so there is know, a really big response to this. I wish my doc was only $50. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't go. Um, another one here, yeah. bashing GPs for costs of consults is encouraging an exodus of GPs and nurses. Uh, do you want yeah. a GP in the future or not? Are we bashing says GPs? Livy. I don't know that we are. are we? Well, <laughs> uh, Lizzie thinks so. Um, according to a – well, finally, uh, Tanya, what do you think yeah. needs to be done here? Look, we need a rework of the, of the of general practice system, and there's, um, it's no mystery there. Um, and we are all working on that at the moment. Us as business practice owners through um, our organisation, which is uh, GenPro, the General Practice Owners Association of Aotearoa New Zealand. Um, half of the general practices in New Zealand have now joined up with them as a, a voice to actually represent us in our business interests and represent our patients in our fight for better funding for our patients, which will improve their access to services. And that's really what it's about. It's about bringing the funding to the patients that that need it the most at the time when they need it the most, and that's in general practice. Great to have you on the programme, Tanya. Kia ora. That's Mm. Tanya Brown. Thank you very much. Uh, Jabalani Medical Centre Director and Practice Manager, and yeah, a a, a really big response uh, across the country. You are telling me what you get charged when you go to your GP, and with us now, because we've got a texture in the show from Fraser, who runs a website comparing GP prices, uh, Mm. says it is wild, the variation. And with us now is Fraser. Kia ora, Fraser. Hello. So you run this drpricer.co.nz. When did you make this website, Fraser? Uh, It was was around eight years ago when I was a, a student in Dunedin. I was just about to sort of move into the real world, I guess, away from student health. And I noticed the prices varied so much. And I was like, hmm, there should be a way to compare this. Okay, so let me ask you then, what is the most expensive doctor, you don't have to name the practice, but what is the most expensive doctor in the country and where? Well, yeah, the most expensive doctor, according to my data, is $84, and it's in Auckland. Which part of Auckland, Fraser? Yeah. 
I think it's the North Shore. Okay. All oh, right. Okay. okay. Right. Wow. I'm not going to ask you which street or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Is that after hours or weekdays? Because he's always no, a different show. Regular. 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 Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, mine is uh, around 70, but I stay there. I stay there for about 20 years because the GP is so good mm-hmm. uh, and I get great service and uh, he knows my family history and everything. Is the, um, bell curve, is the distribution yeah. a bell curve, Fraser? Is it most? Is there an average that most get no, close to? The, no. It's, and it also varies a lot from region to region because I, I think it's to do with the average income in each area. Mm. Yeah, so on like the West Coast, for example, it's quite low, the prices. So what surprises you most? You started this website eight years ago. What has surprised you most when you see this, as you say, wild variance in GP prices? Yeah, I, I guess it's just how, like, you can go, like, a street over and pay, like, significantly less. So, I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously, there's you know, you might prefer at one practice over another. There's more than just price involved, but you know, for someone who just wants to see a doctor, it's yeah, they could just end up paying a lot more than they need to. And the fact is, Sarah, it is an impediment. Hey, let's just knock uh, bit around the bush here. If you do need to pay fifty dollars, sixty or above. That is, it's in, it's in your mind. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, for I know, anyone. Yeah, yeah, but particularly for Marty, you know, I know whanau, I mean, I was there when, <laughs> when, I, when I was going through my divorce and I, had, I was pohara, right? And um, thank for the grace of God out in, um, in West Auckland, Waipareta, um, I managed to get, to get in to see a GP um, and the price was, was great. But, I mean, for a lot of whānau, they don't even go to the GP. That's a luxury. So, and then they end up getting incredibly unwell and ending up in A&E or worse. So, um, you know, in my mind, going to a GP is actually you're in a privileged position. But it ought to be a no-brainer, shouldn't it? Yeah. But that we know perfectly well a more rational way to spend money in health would be to pump more of it into primary health care. As Tanya said before, uh, at the GP level, so it was easy for people right. to go to yeah. a GP and it did not clock up clock so, up the EDs. So finally, Fraser, with your, what is it again, drpricer.co.nz, have you yep. formed any views about uh, where... GP visits should sit a more universality model, or you might have had thoughts of what Tani was saying earlier. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like, uh, like instead of you know the whole ambulance at the bottom of the cliff thing, mm. it should be encouraging people to go to GPs as soon as possible. And if it's like sixty, eighty dollars a visit, it's like you know you probably just wouldn't. Um, yeah. Big response, Fraser. Sue says, I'm an audiobook. I pay 60 bucks for 15 minutes. I have a chronic condition. I would love to pay less. Fraser, thanks for um, getting in touch with the panel. Thank you. Uh, there you go. So that's uh, drpricer.co.nz. Lana in Tauranga says, I'm a gold card, 68 years old. Uh, I called my medical centre today uh, as I wanted some medication for high altitude sickness, which sometimes comes upon me when travelling. I was quoted $57 for an appointment and f- for a phone consultation, $57 also with no guarantee I would be given the prescription. So although in perfect health, I told them to Forget it. And I've been with this practice for uh, 48 uh, years. 
And according to a 2019 study by the Health Quality and Safety Commission, one in five patients reported not visiting a GP due to cost because uh, lots of people cost is a barrier. So thank you very much for all those uh, who got in touch uh, about their GP costs. Really fascinating. The variance is quite extraordinary. Uh, we have Simon Wilson and Sarah Sparks on this afternoon's panel.